Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Turn with me to Psalm uh, chapter 27, verses 1 through 14. This is one of those days that I'm going to read the whole chapter. Because I think it is just good for our soul. Can I get an amen from amen. someone here today? First of all, I'm expecting a lot of amens on a day where we could have not been in church and we're here today uh, by the grace of God. Amen. So here we go. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foe who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be, what? Confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days yeah. of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of what? Joy. With shouts of what? Joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Yeah. Teach me your ways, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Be what? And take heart and wait for the Lord. I'm going to talk to you this morning, a message that is called the cone of uncertainty. The cone <laughs> of uncertainty father thank you for your goodness and your presence here today holy spirit we just continue to invite you to work on our heart work on our soul <clears throat> work on our our mind our will our emotions so that in everything we do our life can be honoring to you the way david's life was honoring to you and he threw out a wide variety god of, of situations and all of them he honored you Lord, let our heart become resolute today on serving you and only you, no matter what's going on around us. And we thank you for what you're doing. Pray for protection, Lord, for, for the state of Florida, for the whole East Coast, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, and we do ask in Jesus' name for you to continue to push this thing away and provide help in the middle of the bad situations for people. And just be the God that you are. You're so good. And we trust you. We trust in your goodness, that you're fully good in every way. Even when we don't understand things, we trust in your goodness today. We ask for protection in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. How many people know hurricanes can be stressful? Yeah. Who, who, who got in a long line for water? You want to get in a long line for water? Nobody? Well, that means you're seasoned Floridians. <laughs> uh, because you know you're probably going to be all right. Uh, I think it's, it's an interesting time 
you know, when everyone is like getting gas everywhere and, and everyone's, you know, they're fighting over water. They showed some thing of people fighting over water. Hurricanes can be stressful, but have you ever noticed that people respond differently to stress? Have you ever noticed that? People respond to some people in this room, your entire house is boarded up right now and you, there's no windows, there's no light at all. It's like walking into an underground lair. Uh, because you're so, because like you're really focused on this thing not messing up your house. But I'll never forget a few years ago, I saw a clip. Do you, anyone remember Hurricane Sandy? Hurricane Sandy? And it hit uh, New York. And, and there, there was a clip, and you can look it up for yourself, but there's a clip of it hitting New York, and it's right there where the Statue of Liberty is. What is that called? Is that the, what's that? No, the, the, the water right there. The Hudson. Is that the Hudson? Okay, so, so there's a reporter out there, and he's going, and as you can see behind me, the, the, the hurricane is blowing this water, and it's the most dangerous conditions in history. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of his newscast, a jet ski goes up over a wave. And, and there's a dude, and, and, all, and you know, you gotta give the cameraman credit because he just goes away from the reporter and starts filming this jet ski. This guy, and when I say hurricane, I'm talking like 10 foot waves. Like this guy is about to die. He's out there just jumping everything. All of a sudden he stops and pulls out a selfie stick and starts like film. And then it goes to the studio and there's a woman that goes, there is a man in the middle of the hurricane on a, now this becomes like a news story. So look at someone next to you say, we all respond differently to stress. I'm not sure where, where you fall uh, in, that, in that spectrum of boarded up house or jet skiing in the middle of the hurricane. But I know that... It, one of the things that's stressful, too, is hearing all these things get thrown out that we're not really fully aware of on a regular basis, like this phrase, the cone of uncertainty. What, what is that? It's like you see that uh, all the time. So really what it actually is, the cone of uncertainty is a way to describe from models and from a scientific standpoint where the center of the storm is supposed it, It's kind of a... It's sort of a window of probability of, of where that we, we know it's probably going to pass somewhere in this particular area. And it's talking about the center of the storm. But the whole concept of a, the cone of uncertainty is like if you're in just the edge of it, you start freaking out. Uh, because there, there is a possibility that it, well, if you're in the middle of it, you're going to freak out. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, we've been here long enough to know that no matter who you are, there's some element of you that when you see it, you're like, whoa. But, but the, the idea of the cone of uncertainty is that if you're in that cone at all, there's a possibility that the center, and it, they're constantly adjusting it based on what's, what happens with all the updates. By the way, don't you get sick of the 5 p.m. update, the 11 p.m. update, the 2 p.m. update. And then, you know, there's, someone says something at 4, they're like, well, that was old news. That's, you know, that's like three hours ago. Be quiet. It's just frustrating. But anyways, uh, so, so the, the cone of uncertainty. I'd just like to tell you something today. Did you know that there's always a cone of uncertainty in our lives. Yeah. I think it's really important to look at how we respond, specifically as Floridians, as people who are or at least here right now during something like this. And I think how we respond, how we interact with people, how we think about impending danger, how we think about disaster or losing something, 
uh, is kind of a microcosm of the way we typically will deal with stress or potential uh, neg negativity in our life if things are about to happen. And if you kind of look at how you've been responding to this or how you responded to previous ones, maybe you'll start to notice some parallels between the way you respond to things like this and the way you respond to other things in your life. We're responding on a daily basis to what our fears tell us might happen. And that's why many times we will live in anxiety. I think anxiety is, is at a higher level than it has ever been before in culture. And we live in anxiety, and, and honestly, I've read books on anxiety, and some of them give me anxiety, but I, I've, re I've read these books on anxiety, and, and, and a lot of these books on anxiety will tell you that the reason you have anxiety is you're spending too much time thinking about the negative things that can happen, and what you actually need to do is to think about the positive things that will. That's what a lot of these books will tell you, is you need to think about the positive things will happen, and these other things probably won't happen. So, so what they'll say is that there's a cone of uncertainty, and what you're imagining is something that is outside the cone, but you're imagining it happening to you. So stop thinking about those things, and start thinking about things that are more positive. But I think it's interesting because David, in our text, does the opposite of that. He doesn't follow that advice to just find a happy place. Look at someone next to you and say, find a happy place. He doesn't find a happy place. He does the polar opposite of what everyone else is telling us we should do when it comes to anxiety. He actually is envisioning the worst. But it's, it's, it's a strategy that he is, in, 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 that he is uh, using on himself. And listen to what he says. He says, I'm imagining the worst case scenario for my life. And God, when I look at the worst case scenario, when I look at the cone of uncertainty and I see the track, instead of imagining that it's going to shift away, or inst instead of imagining that, that this is not possible, that it couldn't affect me, let me imagine that it's actually possible that this thing rips through my life. And what he's going to say is that I've, I've discovered once going through these scenarios and rehearsing these scenarios, not in fear, saying, oh, I'm going to lose everything, but saying that if this thing tracks towards me, if this thing doesn't track east and it tracks right toward me, what I have come to discover is that what I know about you tells me that you are still going to be there for me in the middle of the worst situation I can come up with. Be cautious if the only life you live as a Christian is imagining that bad things will never happen to you. If, you, if your faith is so fragile that you can't imagine ever catching a cold, if your faith is so fragile that you can't imagine ever getting a flat tire because you think the devil got all on you. You ran over a nail. Look at someone next to you and say, you will get a flat tire. Look at the person on the other side and say, your AC will break. Oh, some of you religious Christians, you, you feel like, I ain't confessing that in Jesus. I ain't going to confess. That preacher ain't going to make me say that out loud. It, you will, though. It will happen eventually. 
<laughs> I have people down here saying, no, it won't. <laughs> I love it. Are, are you following what David is doing here? What he is saying is when I get a flat tire, when my AC breaks, when the thing shifts west instead of east, when the report is negative, what he's saying is in the middle of the worst situation, my heart will not fear. Yeah. He says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, not if, he says, when? He's saying, when my enemies come to kill me, to devour me, and my, he says, it is my enemies and my foe who will stumble and fall. What he's saying is if something comes toward me and it doesn't go away and it hits me, it's not going to ruin me. It's not going to destroy me. As a matter of fact, you're going to take something that was intended for bad and you're going to turn it for good in my life, just like Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph says, as for you, you thought evil toward me, but the Lord meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save many people's lives. See, all things work together for the good of those that love him who are called according to his purpose. We know, it says we know that all things work together. For we know, somebody say, I know. I know. That's exactly what David is saying. So he goes on, he says, and one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life, gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Seek him in his temple. Look what he says down in verse 10. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. We have no evidence biblically that David's father and mother forsook him. He's throwing out worst case scenarios. He's saying if the things that I value in this life more than anything in the world fail me, if my brand new car gets the windshield crushed in or gets a door ding, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. What he's saying is, God, I'm going to trust in you. And see, he's saying that no matter how big the cone of uncertainty is, I will be okay because of you. Why is David able to say this so confidently? Because of something he says in verse 4. He has discovered his one thing. He has discovered his one thing. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. Look at someone next to you and say, find your one thing. Come on, look at the person on the other side and say, find your one thing. Find your one thing. It says, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The trouble. In, come on, come on. See, the trouble in our lives begins when we turn good things into our one thing. We turn good things into our one thing. Your family is a good thing. But if you make it your one thing, if if your family ever becomes jeopardized, then your faith becomes jeopardized. See, your house is a good thing. Come on. 
But if you turn a good thing into your one thing, the moment a forecast comes out that says your house might be in danger, oh, I can't lose my one thing. But what David is sa says here, he says, I have discovered my one thing. See, your greatest fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of your greatest joys. Wow. Wow. Your greatest fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of your greatest joys. So what does that mean, Pastor Jeff? It means that whatever you love the most, whatever has become your one thing in this life, that you've made your one thing, whether it's your family, whether it's your job, whether it's your abs or something, I don't know, maybe someone is like worried about them. Whatever those things, and I think seriously, I'm, I'm not joking, I think that's why some people freak out like over eating a cookie or something. It's like, because like, they just don't want to mess this up. They work so hard. But what, whatever your greatest joy or your greatest love is in life that you have made, your one thing, the vulnerability of that particular thing will cause you to have fear that will rip you apart. It will destroy you if that thing becomes vulnerable, whether it's a relationship whether it's your, your family or your job or whatever, if your job and your career is your one thing and suddenly that career becomes threatened, your whole world falls apart. And what happens? You can't sleep at night. You lay in bed worried about your job. You lay in bed worried about who's going to fire you, who's going to you know, put you down, who's going to cause you problems in the future, finding other employment. What, your world begins to crumble from the inside out. Some people can't sleep because of the cone of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because their one thing is not God. Their one thing is not Jesus. And what David is doing is David is saying, here, I am going to rehearse my one thing. I am going to remind myself of what my one thing is in this world. So you want to know what his one thing is? One thing is this. He says, here's my one thing. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want, somebody say dwell. That's the Hebrew word yeshav. It means to remain, to stay, to live, to inhabit. It doesn't mean that you have to ask for permission to come sleep on the front pew every night. That's not what he meant. He didn't mean to literally live and dwell in the house of the Lord. But there is a lot of power in what he says. He says, I want to live under your presence. That place that we go to experience those amazing moments where we're worshiping together and just heaven comes down and, and touches our heart and soul and we get so excited about God. What he's saying is, I don't want that to be on Sundays. On. I don't want that just to be on Sundays or revival nights. I want to live in that. Yeah. He's saying, this is my one thing. I want to live and exist in your presence. There is a Latin phrase called caramdeo. And it literally, it literally means to be under the presence of God. I love this phrase. It means in the presence of God. As a matter of fact, if you've ever gotten a letter from me, that's the way I, that's the way I sign all my letters. I've done it for 15 years. I don't say bye. I don't say later blessings. I just say cram deo, Jeffrey Smith. It, it, why? Because it's a mentality that I discovered many years ago that cram deo means my whole life. Everything I do is under you. The good, 
the bad, the struggles, the pain, the joy. Everything I do is under your glory. It's for your honor. It's a life lived in submission to you. It's a life that is given over completely to you under the authority of, for the glory of God. Honestly, it's what inspired the concept for Jesus first, Jesus always. Jesus first, Jesus always, the whole book is about living a Corandeo kind of life. That's what David is saying. That's what dwelling in the house of the Lord means. It means Jesus first, Jesus always. It means to live as Christ, to die as gain. It means ripping off the rear view mirror. It means I'm all in this thing. It means I'm not looking for a better option. What David is saying, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love what Augustine says. And he's, he's brilliant. He says, you can always follow your worries to the things that enslave you. You can always follow your worries to the things that enslave you. So I think, I think what, what David is doing here is he's saying, I refuse to be enslaved by material things that can perish. And instead, I'm going to connect my greatest joys to something that cannot perish, to someone that cannot perish. And here's the thing. As I love this little process that he gives about dwelling in the house of the Lord. And then, then he says, I want to do some other things. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Then he says, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And I believe that you do the first one by doing the second and the third one. So I believe if you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord, here's the two things you have to do, which is point number two, uh, but it's number one of the two things, uh, is you have to gaze. And, and that's the, the Hebrew word chaza, which means to look upon, to perceive, or to contemplate. This means that we need to learn how to appreciate the beauty of, of God on a personal level. Stop just looking at what God has done and know him and actually know him. There is a big difference between looking at the works of Michelangelo and appreciating the works of Michelangelo and actually getting to know the person of Michelangelo. There's things about him that you can never know just simply from his works that you have to know from looking in his face and meeting him and talking to him. And in the same way, what David is saying is, I want to gaze, I want to look in your face. I want to know you. Have you ever noticed that it's much different having a face-to-face conversation with most people than it is to look at their Facebook profile? Look at someone next to you say, never use a picture that looks too good. Tell somebody, never use a picture that looks too good. It'd probably be better to just go a little, you know, use one that's not so good, right? Don't you want people meeting you going, wow, you look better in person. Rather than go, who are you? Right? Amen. There's a big difference in, in just seeing someone. I've met people before that uh, they look familiar. I may have seen them like on, on, on social media or something, and I meet them, and it's just far different having a face-to-face conversation with a person than it is just seeing attributes or aspects of who they are. And what David is saying is, I, I don't want to just look at what you've done. Are you following this today? Come on. This is how you make God your one thing. He's saying, I don't want to just know about what you've done. I want to gaze. I want to contemplate. I want to look at you. As a matter of fact, Augustine lays out 
in one of his books what it really means to actually look at God and to see God. He says there are three parts, and you should write these down because they're phenomenal, and they're not something you'll probably just remember right offhand because they're Latin. But there are three parts, <laughs> there are three parts uh, to, to how we can gaze upon the Lord and truly look in his face and know him. And the three Latin words that he uses are retentio, contemplatio, and delectio. Okay, I'm going to explain those. Retentio, he says, is finding a truth, and that's based on the word retain. That, that retentio is based on our word to retain or to keep. And, and it means that you find a truth, you get the truth, and you retain it. And you go, there it is. You see it, and you appreciate it, like taking your notes home or, or reading your Bible. You go, wow, look at this truth. Yeah. And, and you dig into it, and you try to let it penetrate you, and you keep it. You don't just let it go out of your mind or out of your spirit or out of your heart, but you're constantly meditating. Is anyone here today? You're meditating on the truth of who God is. You're meditating on the song we sing. You're meditating on the message. You're meditating in your devotional time. That's what devotional time actually is. You're meditating and retaining it. But he says you don't stop there. You have to move to phase two if you're ever going to truly gaze upon God, which is contemplatio, which means you contemplate or you look at God through that truth. So instead of just going, okay, today I just learned, you know, we make God my one thing, that's great. Uh, you know, you go on Facebook and go, make God your one thing. You know, hashtag COL church, uh, you know, cone of uncertainty. No, that's not, that's not contemplatio. That's not what it is at all. What it is, contemplatio is once you have retained it and once you remember it, then you get it in your spirit and you start contemplating it and viewing life through the lens of what David said of God, you are my one. One thing, one thing and one thing alone do I want is to dwell and, and you, you're speaking it and you're saying it and you're believing it and you're getting it out of your head and you're getting it into your heart. Is anyone here on a Sunday morning? Because I feel like two people are excited today. Do I really understand he is holy? Do I really understand that he is good? Do I really get it in my spirit that he is enough for me? Am I living this out? What false attitudes and false emotions come when I forget these things? You're contemplating this deep in your soul. And then you move from contemplatio to delectio, which means to delight in it, to delight in him. Sometimes if we find we really spend the time seeking to see him, to gaze on his beauty, ideas about him get very real. And if the ideas become very real and we've retained it and we've contemplated it, Ooh, then we get the opportunity to delight in it. That's when you start kind of bouncing around when you're walking. And you're going, Jesus is my one thing. What are you doing? You're delighting in it. You're delighting in it. You're going, I don't care what happens to me. Uh, there ain't nothing that can come my way. I'm not reliant upon the report. I'm not reliant upon what happens or what I lose or what they're going to say. And you start bouncing a little bit. What is that? That's delighting in the Lord. That's delectio. That's learning how to delight. We move from retentio to contemplatio to delectio, and it's literally being enraptured in his presence. So dwell, gaze, and gaze has to do with the beauty of who God is, and it's appreciating his beauty, gazing upon his beauty, knowing him face to face. And I believe that's a very romantic kind of side to our faith, the, the romance side, the, the worship side, the, the engaging with him. He's wonderful. He's beautiful. But I believe this last part is a little more cerebral. A little more kind of, let's just do the things that it says. Seek. Seek is the Hebrew word bakar. 
And it's a very specific word, which means to go get counsel from. So he says, this is what I want to do. I want to I dwell in the house of the Lord, gaze on your beauty, and seek him in his temple. To go get counsel from him. Look at someone next to you say, get counsel from the Lord. There are disciplines to being a Christian. I'm going to say that until three people say amen. There are disciplines to being a Christian. You read your Bible. You pray. You meditate. You take the sacraments at church. You, you worship together. You don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Those are, those are some disciplines. You got, those are inner disciplines mostly, but then there are outer disciplines. Don't be materialistic. Be pure in your lifestyle instead of impure. Be forgiving in your life instead of bitter. Have a servant heart instead of being ambitious and selfish. These are, these are disciplines, and I believe this is what seeking him is all about. The gazing on the beauty side is a worshipful aspect. The seeking him is getting counsel from him. I'm trying to teach you how to transition our lives away from the materialistic side of making stuff our one thing and making God. This is how you can have the confidence when the cone is going right down the middle of your avenue. This is how you can have the confidence to go, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be okay because God has got me. And you know what? It doesn't even mean I'm gonna be okay. My parents are holy people. They love God, they have lived for God forever. They lost their house during Charlie. They lost their house during Charlie, had to move and transition. I was on the phone during Charlie with my dad. Amy was pregnant with Jude. We were in the closet. Went, it sounded like the roof was about to rip off. I go, Dad, are you okay? He goes, well, not really, son. Oh, my God. It's the last thing I heard. Hours and hours, like five hours go by. Of, and our phones are cut off or dead. So I, what I find is that I get in the car after Charlie's over. And, and after it finally calms down, I drove from my house on Neptune Road in our four-wheel drive truck down the center of 192 at probably one o'clock in the morning. It literally looked like I was in the middle of the country. There was not a single light. There wasn't a backup generator. It was pitch black down the dead center of 192. I made my way to my parents' house. I had to go over logs. I had to go over trees that were in the middle of the road. It was the craziest thing. When I finally got there, a gigantic tree had fallen on my parents' house. And I mean, they were all wearing bicycle helmets. They were <laughs> Like it was, it was crazy. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. If you think the whole point of everything is just being able to sidestep disaster and sidestep troubles for your whole life and just, if God loves me, then I'll never, I'll never have anything come down my way. You're just gonna be sadly disappointed and your faith is probably so fragile that you'll throw it away and find something that you like better. Because that's not the point. We believe in Jesus' name, and we declare things in Jesus' name, and we speak to the storm just like Jesus did. We speak to sickness just like Jesus did, and we believe for the best constantly. But if it doesn't work out the way we pray, we trust that our God is good, that our God is faithful, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that, he is, that all things work together for the good of those that love him who are called according to his purpose. My parents had to live in a little portable trailer for about four months outside of their house. And I'm, I'm sure, Dad, that's probably the scripture you spoke every morning. All things work together for the good of those that love Him. You, there are times in your life when you're struggling through things and that's all that you can come up with. 
and you're just going, I'm not sure how this is going to work out to my benefit, but I trust you, God. I'm trying to encourage you today. I don't, I don't want you to have a, I don't want you to have a works-based, and let's say this thing does go out and it completely misses us. See, I don't want you to go, see, God is good because this, because what that actually means is that next time, if it does come through, then your, your philosophy and your worldview is that he wasn't good that time. I got news for you. He's good no matter where the dadgum thing goes. He is good, period. He's good. He's faithful. He's not going to give up on us in the middle of a storm. So, today, get counsel from God. Seek Him today. How to live. Let this seep down into your soul. Isaiah 9, 6, when it's talking about the names of Jesus, it says His name will be wonderful. Counselor. Seek His counsel. What David teaches us here is a strategy for being content. We all have storms. We all have something floating around in the Atlantic out there. We're here. We got this little thing out there. Now, I don't know how far out it is. When you first see it, sometimes you know about it and you're going, ah, that's, that's a week away there. That'll just turn into nothing. And then maybe there's something in your marriage or there's something in your, your health that a doctor has told you. And it just gets bigger and bigger. Now they start drawing these lines. And you see these things coming down your path. And you start seeing emergency warnings in your life and now it's gone from being a possibility to you're rehearsing in your head what it's going to look like to have your whole life destroyed I just say this the cone of uncertainty is based on the reports but we believe in the report of the Lord Daniel 3 17 18 I love I love what Shadrach Meshach and Abednego said they refused to bow down and worship a false god. And he said, hey, we're going to throw you in that furnace right there and burn you up. And they said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So there's one mentality right there. When you're praying in a situation, you go, hey, my God is able to save me from this. And as a matter of fact, he's going to save me. Somebody say he's going to save me. But I like this too, what they said. And do not, do not mistake this for doubt. This is knowing your one thing. See, this is your, the next thing they say is knowing your one thing. This is how you act when you know your one thing. He says, but even if he doesn't, <laughs> even if he doesn't, and what does that mean? Even if I die? Even if my world, if my, my the days on this planet is cut short, I ain't gonna bow down and serve no false God. Even if the worst thing does happen to me, I'm not gonna forsake everything I know about my God because he is good, he's worthy, he's deserving of the praise. I choose to worship him in the good times and in the bad times. I'm not gonna let a bad report throw me off of my resolution. I'm not going to let it change my one thing. Somebody say, he's my one thing. Come on, say, he's my one thing. I'm going to close with this story. Stay on your feet. There was an English missionary named Alan Gardner. In 1851, he was on the way to South America to start a new mission. And he became shipwrecked on a very remote island. It's a true story. 
He and his companions tried their very best to stay alive until somebody came, but nobody came. And eventually, when people discovered him, they saw this man who was full of faith. And next to him, they found a journal. And he died of starvation. They found his body next to his journal. And they opened up that journal. And on the very last page was written Psalm 3410. This is what it says. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Right underneath it, he wrote a phrase that came right out of his soul. He said, I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Why didn't he write? What's wrong with me, God? You help everyone else. Why didn't he write, I thought this, this scripture was true? Because he knew his one thing. He knew his one thing. There's a cone of uncertainty, but I'll tell you something else. There's a cone of certainty. And that certainty is that he is good, he is faithful, and he will never leave us and never forsake us. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.